Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive Podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our August product event, where you'll hear from Blake McClary. Blake is currently a senior product manager at Divi. He's going to talk about why every PM should own a number, what that means, and why sales skills are the most underrated skills when hiring a PM. A big thanks to Divi for hosting this meetup. So now, let's hear Blake's talk. PMs, here's why you should go learn sales. Uh, I'm Blake. I work at Divi. I've been at Divi since December of last year. GM and senior product manager. I live in Salt Lake. Uh, I love to, to cycle. And after six months of looking, I finally found a freaking house. So uh, it is a brutal market out there, guys. And that is enough about me. Let's dive into the content. So the topic of the, the, that we're going to talk about today is why PMs should learn sales. I pretty frequently get asked by uh, people, prospective PMs who, who want to break into it, hey, like, what do, I, what do I need to know? Help me like, figure out what skills I need. And there's usually a certain set, right? There's like, you need analytical chops, design skills, deep empathy, all the stuff that we would usually say. But one of the skills that I have found myself only recently kind of talk about is, is sales. It's probably the most underrated skill product managers can have. And it's one that we don't really talk about, especially to prospective product managers. So at least I've never really seen anything out there. So today we're going to talk about why that's, why that's a big deal. So why do uh, sales skills matter for PMs? The simple fact of the matter is that the PMs are GMs. I think we all need to elevate ourselves and basically give ourselves promotion outside of just like people who ship software to like actual owners of what our product area is. We need to actually think about the holistic picture, revenue metrics, go to market, everything related to our product area, we can and should be owners. So PMs or GMs is a huge tenant of our product team at Divi. And this is what we strive for. So we're going to talk about what that actually means, but I'm going to be a little trite here and say that any idiot can ship software. Like I, I'm, I'm purposely being hyperbolic, but like truly figuring out timeline and like, Hey, this is what we're going to go build. And this is like, you know, when we're going to build it, that's a fine skill, but we have project managers for that. If you want to be a true product manager, if you wanted to be a true GM, a true owner, we need to get beyond that. So this is the, the hierarchy of, of kind of PM and skills in my mind, which is, at the most basic level, you need to be able to project manage. You need to be able to ship software, right? You've got to execute. The next layer of complexity on top of that is knowing what, what the right thing to build is. So that takes you to like, okay, these are better PMs. PMs who like really know how to dig in, do discovery, build the right thing. And of course, they can ship on time and, and reliably as well. But then the next layer on top of that is GM. So I know I can build the right stuff. I can actually execute on it. But I also own the outcomes, I own the PL, I own uh, the go-to-market, and I am truly an owner of my product area. So this is kind of the evolution of, of how I think about that. As just you're thinking case, of- Just yep. in case that somebody doesn't know, uh, what is a GM? General manager, thank you. A few years ago, there was a lot of talk about PMs are the CEOs of their product. And obviously some people find a lot of fault with that. It's not a perfect analogy. I think GM is probably a little bit better of a fit, but the same idea, you are an owner of your area and you need to own it fully. So you need to be thinking about as you, as you're shipping, how do I build a viable business out of what I'm actually building and delivering? 
other questions you could ask yourself uh, as you're thinking about projects, as you're thinking about things to build, will this sell? Does the customer want it? Is the market actually pulling this out of uh, us or are we going in search uh, of something? And then is this gonna deliver the outcome we want? Outcome being the actual business outcome. More revenue, higher win rate, lower loss rate, uh, increased contribution margin, decreased customer acquisition costs. There's all sorts of business metrics that we as PMs need to elevate our thinking to and really be strategic about what we're delivering to the business. Because ultimately we are handed million or so dollars every year of resources and we have to be the best stewards of those resources, resources being engineering, right? We've got expensive engineering time and we can't just ship features. We can't just ship, uh, ship software and have that be enough. We really have to think about how, what we're doing uh, and how that's affecting the actual business. Another skill is storytelling. I think uh, salespeople are pretty good at this. If you were to ask my wife, I'm not a great storyteller myself. This is something I'm trying to work on actively. I tend to like elongate the story way longer than it needs to be and tell like way too many details. And then I get to the punchline and it's not actually as punchy as I want it to be. So I'm trying to get better at this, but I think we've got a lot to learn uh, from our sales counterparts on how to tell a good story. Storytelling is an underrated skill. Again, this is something I'm trying to get better at. And I think we can learn a lot from our, our sales counterparts. As we're deciding uh, what to build, as we're deciding the strategy, we really do need to, to, tell, to tell better stories. I think this is something I've seen across the board from a lot of PMs I've worked with. We need to be able to tell the narrative. And I think sometimes as PMs, we, we allow that narrative to come from the executive team or from sales leadership or maybe product leadership. And we can feel kind of stuck in like the strategy that's handed down from us. First of all, you can always set the strategy and tell the story of your product area, no matter what, right? You are an autonomous product manager. You have full control and flexibility within your product area uh, to tell a compelling story. But what I found is if, you, if your story and if your narrative and if your strategy is compelling enough, the organization will move around you and kind of rally around that story. One of the best people I've, I've seen do this is on the call today, Gentry, who I've worked with at Instruction before as well, who's just so good at like telling people like, this is what we need to be doing. And this is what we're hearing from customers. And this is what our story should be. And going exactly like directly to, to, to leadership, to the executive team, and then totally being like, yeah, that's right. Like it's, it's actually pretty surprising. Here's some more whys, why you should uh, bolster up your sales skills. Um, as I already mentioned, we need to be great sales uh, storytellers. We need to be able to persuade. We're constantly selling and pitching ideas, both internally and externally. Uh, as you guys know, we don't have any like hierarchical um, authority to say what we're, we're going to do. So it's all about pitching and selling. Despite some, some bad examples, salespeople are generally pretty good at listening and uh, listening to objections and trying to overcome those. And that's something that we is very core to our job as well. And then advocacy. Uh, I'm sure you guys have all been on the other end of a Slack or a Zoom or an email of sales bros saying, hey, we've got to land this deal. The customer needs X, Y, or Z. And like they will just muscle these things, these things through uh, the organization. And they just have so much advocacy for their client and their customers, which is in part, of course, driven by their need to, uh, to bring home the bacon. I, I believe that if you were able to do all of these things really well, you'd put yourself automatically in the top 20% of PMs in Utah. So we, we looked at that, like that triangle hierarchy. I think this is the same deal. Like if you can do these well, you're going to be a top notch killer PM. 
But I'm just curious, how many of you have a sales background? I do not. Nobody on, hell yeah, I did summer sales. Oh, okay, there we go. I fit into that camp. Summer of 2011, I sold, and it was the worst summer of my life, and also the best summer of my life. It can be weird that way. How many of you sat in on uh, demos and sales calls? Okay, so most have, a few haven't. Next question. How many of you have gone on-site to visit a prospect? This is a prospective customer, somebody who hasn't signed with your company yet, but is evaluating the company. You're, you're going with the salesperson, you know, go help close the deal. This is a narrower gap than I, uh, than I would have thought. So one, one bit of commentary I'll give here is for those who have said no, you should absolutely find the time to do so. Again, once, once we can travel and, and the world resumes uh, kind of a normal sales cycle, but there's a lot of benefit to you as well as to the salesperson to have a product person come along. Now, you're not going to come along to every deal. And obviously, there's budget constraints sometimes. But there are certain deals where it makes sense. The deal is big enough. The client needs like to be heard on a few different things. It means a lot to the clients to have a product person come out. And hugely rewarding experience from an empathy standpoint for product managers. So if you can, try to push for this. Try to get budget. If for whatever reason, you're not able to find this from leadership, you know, funny, instead of going to your, your manager, the VP of product, why not go to a salesperson? Maybe somebody you already have a relationship with, a trust with, hey, what accounts are you working on in the next few months or whatever? I'd love to come out with you sometime. And I've had it where sales department will actually pay for your travel to go out if they find like there's enough value uh, for a product manager to go out. So that could be one avenue as well to, to secure budget if you're not able to. Um, hugely impactful. And again, salesperson will be very grateful. A customer will be very grateful for you to, to come out there with them. So wasn't expecting this much of a margin, but I'd highly encourage, or this, this little of a margin, I'd highly encourage all of you to go out if you can. And uh, if, you can't, if you can't fly anywhere, again, because of budget, try to find something locally. Even if it's a small deal, it'll be very impactful, I think, to you. How few people have gone on site, yeah. Yeah, very surprising to me as well. Definitely go do that. Let's make that a first thing. Although I guess we're not really traveling. So first thing, as soon as you can travel. We're going to talk about the relationship between sales and product and sales bros. I'm, I'm generally pretty flippant. I think there are not a lot of product people who have sales backgrounds. Tyler Hoke, my boss, does. And he, I can, you can very much feel it from him. But it's really good. It's really opened my eyes to like how well product and sales can work together. Typically in my career, I've seen quite a bit of tension between the two right? Sales says, hey, product isn't doing X, Y, or Z. This is what we need our, customer, our customers need. And product saying, no, salespeople don't understand. And they're only looking at the prospective customers. There's, of course, our current customers. There's the market. There's all these other inputs uh, that we typically look at. And so there's usually a little bit of tension there. I'm putting this in here uh, just because it's great. It's a, a screenshot from a, an account on Instagram that you guys should go follow if you don't called Hold My Fry Sauce. It's just like a parody account of Utah Tech. But man, Senior Director of Sales at Podium, Chad here. Typical sales bro. At Divi, I've probably seen the best example of close alignment between sales and product uh, as departments. And it starts from the leaders at the very top. And I think, I think uh, the fact that our VP of product, Tyler, has a sales background has been tremendously helpful in making sure or allowing that like, we have that really tight, tight alignment. And the, our, our head of revenue knows like, very well that Tyler cares about uh, the business metrics, he cares about revenue, uh, that we as product, manager all, product managers are all driving 
the same revenue metrics, which we'll get to uh, here in a little bit. And so there are magical things that happen when sales and product are tightly aligned. You know, in enterprise SaaS, which a lot of us in Utah are, are in, there can be a lot of, hey, we've got to close this deal and the client needs X, Y, and Z features. Can we do it? And usually that conversation will happen between, like at the director level. Sometimes it'll get up, up uh, graded to like the VP level. And at that case, there's been instances in my career where like they've gone to the CEO, VP of sales and says, hey, product won't build X, Y, and Z and we need to close this deal. There's no way we hit our number this year if we don't. And CEO basically has to be the, ar the arbiter and say, okay, do this. And then, you know, CEO dictates the roadmap. But I found that if you've got an alignment between sales and product, the conversation moves from sales saying product won't do this to, hey, we jointly agree that, you know, these are our metrics and this is what matters. So we're actually not going to build X so that we can build Y instead. So we're not just saying no, but we're actually saying yes to something else because we believe it's more strategically important. So this is a very, very important thing to have. You've got to have that trust from the very top, be aligned, and, and then, um, you know, as you as a PM can become really good friends with AEs and, and reps, and I think that'll go a long way. And then one practical tip here that I've seen work well, I think it's important for product to meet with sales leadership on a monthly cadence uh, to review a, a stack rank or prioritize list of their top uh, 10 feature requests. So this, this is helpful for a few reasons. Salespeople generally have recency bias. So of the, let's say like, you know, 30 most recent deals they've worked on, they'll generally like bring up the requests that have happened in the last two weeks or so, last month. It's good to kind of hold them to account and give them a little empathy for your job as well and, and prioritizing and stack ranking. And then that way you've got a list to go off of. And there's no shifting because sometimes salespeople, again, because of recency bias will shift from like, oh yeah, we said X was really important, but actually now it's Y. Um, you know, they're constantly, they've got, they've got pipe and they've got deals and, and that's always changing as well. So I think it's helpful to have some of the prioritization and stack ranking uh, onus on them. So there's a practical tip. I recommend everybody go do that. Here is the first question. Have you ever had a sales rep promise something to a customer that wasn't actually in the product? I suspect we'll have a lot of yeses here. It's good to see that there's some no's. Must be a really great sales team. Okay. This happens all the time. And whether or not it's intentional is up for debate. Frankly, sometimes reps will say stuff is in the product just to close the deal, right? And that's what they're incentivized to do. So it's, it's, it's kind of hard to blame them. And it, it does make all of our lives harder, especially if you're a CSM, right? Because they were sold on uh, having X, Y, or Z feature and they get into the product and actually it's not there. And then the CSM is kind of caught in the middle. That's a very hard position to be in. And I've seen that happen quite a number of times. But it's, it's really hard for everybody. And this, this frankly, is something that uh, salespeople need to get better at. This is something we all need to work at to try to make sure that it's very clear to customers uh, what we do and do not have. Okay, let's go to the next question. Have you ever had to prioritize a feature in order to close a deal? This is where I think that if there's tight alignment between sales and product, and if going back to the example of like, okay, we're not going to build X because we know we should actually be, be building Y. We're okay saying uh, no to money right now because we're actually saying yes to kind of our North Star or our strategy. I think if there's tighter alignment, we'll see fewer of these um, feature requests be demanded in order to close a deal. Even still, I think there are some cases where it actually is appropriate to build features to close deals, some cases. Now, I don't think that's all the time. And actually, we still should be trying to close, like 
the, the, the metrics are more important than the actual deals themselves. But I think we'll see a lot fewer of these uh, feature requests coming in to, uh, from the sales team in order, in order to close a deal if, if we're more tightly lined. So I want to end my presentation with how this works at Divi. We've talked all about like the theory and like, yeah, you should be a GM, you should learn sales, we should be aligned with sales. But I want to make this a little bit more concrete. And we're not doing it perfectly either, right? This is a process, but um, I, this is probably the best example of my career where sales and product have been really tightly aligned and, and product people, me, uh, are empowered to own numbers. Okay. So at Divi, the executive team for 2020 came up with five metrics in order to grow the business. And these are the same metrics for the revenue teams. These are the same metrics for the product teams, for marketing. Everybody is rallying around these, these five metrics. And each PM owns one of those metrics. And I'll, the next slide will show you the, the, the exact ones. But they're all business metrics. Like none of them are actually product metrics. They're not engagement metrics. Like these are, these are things that are growing the business. And each PM is actually compensated based on hitting those outcomes. So I, for me, my metric is to uh, generate a certain amount of revenue for my product this year. And I have equity or stock incentives if I hit my goal. And then the last point is, yes, we build delightful products, delightful experiences. Yes, it's important for the craft of product management that we like build what the customer wants and will be great. But we're also building the business. And those aren't mutually exclusive. You can focus on business metrics and still create an extremely uh, good product experience. And so I want to call that out as well. Just because you're saying yes to the business does not mean you're saying no to the customer. So these are our five metrics for this year. Increase, uh, in, improve or increase contribution margin. Lower our customer acquisition costs. Increase FAS, which is uh, short for verified verifiable addressable spend, which is just a metric we, we track. Increase spend. So Divi, we make, we're a corporate credit card. We make money when people swipe their cards. And so we want people spending as much as they can on their Divi cards. And then my, my goal, which is down here, is for the first time we're introducing paid products at Divi. Traditionally, it's been free because we make money on interchange. So we didn't, we, you know, we haven't charged the customer uh, to use the card or to use the software but we are introducing a premium or a paid tier. And that's, that's uh, what me and a few other PMs are working on. So we have, I believe, nine product teams and five goals. So there's you know, a few PMs jointly own each of these five business outcomes. And the projects or the, the stuff that we're actually building roll up to these goals. So I'll show you in the, in the next slide an example. Here is a screenshot of a Google Drive uh, sheet, a Google Sheet that where we're tracking all of this. And I've taken out the actual numbers, but um, you can see in the far left-hand column, we've got uh, prioritization. Like, so there's the number one goal and the number two goal. And we've, as we saw, contribution margin and, and uh, CAC. We've got our actuals on a monthly basis. We've got our end of year goal in one of the columns. And then in the far right column is the initiatives and tactics. So this is where our projects come into play. So I, as a PM, say, okay, I am going to build X, Y, or Z feature because we believe, or it is our hypothesis, that it will move the needle on increasing our contribution margin. So we have set out all of the tactics and all of the things that will, that will actually lead to that outcome. 
And as you see in parentheses, that may change because there could be projects that, uh, that you know, and, and opportunities that come in uh, that will help us get to that faster or in a better way. And so this is helpful because we're all aligned on what the metrics are. We can see the actuals and the CEO, knows, the CEO knows that we're all kind of rowing in the same direction. The product owns the, the, the far right column and it's subject to change. And what we do is we meet with our um, executive team every two weeks as a PM. So for my product area, I have what's called a product review every two weeks where I've got stakeholders. It's essentially the board meeting uh, for my product area. And so if things do need to change in that initiatives and tactics column, that's where I update uh, the CEO, the executive team. We talk about things, we've ratified the decisions and all of that happens uh, uh, or everything from the initiatives and tactics is kind of driven by uh, the product manager and then discussed in product review. And if things need to change or morph, uh, that happens in those product review meetings every two weeks. So one of the criticisms we hear pretty, pretty often, is, and, it's, and it's, it's valid, if you incentivize PMs monetarily to just hit these outcomes, isn't that gonna be short-sighted? Aren't the PMs just gonna build whatever the customers say so that they can like close deals, so that they can increase revenue, and then you kind of end up with like a Frankenstein product that isn't cohesive? Uh, it's a real concern. And uh, this is what we're doing to mitigate it at Divi. So first of all, you have to pick the right outcome. If it's too long or broad of an outcome, it's going to be hard to like get attribution for your projects to that outcome. If it's too short-sighted of an outcome, it might be hard, like, like uh, if we say, um, you know, in next month, we're gonna increase revenue by 10% from this feature. That might be a little too short-sighted to see really the fruits of, of your labor come, come to fruition. Uh, from what you're building. So you really do have to align on the right outcome and make sure it's not too far, it's not too long. Now this is unique to Divi, but I think it helps us particularly that we mostly serve SMBs. And so there's not a ton of like, this big deal just came in, we have to push it through. We generally are able to um, do what's best for all of our customers. And then even if you're an enterprise, it's still important that you move the metrics and not certain deals. So that's why the, the alignment with uh, sales is important. We're all moving these metrics. Uh, you saw our, our R5 in, a, in the previous slide. And some deals might help us move these metrics, but we really do need to focus on the metrics and not specific deals that might be big, especially if they're bad deals for us, right? Like maybe they want the product to be something it's not or something we're just not able to execute on for a year. Uh, so we should feel empowered to say no to those deals uh, because we're trying to move the metric. And then another unique thing to Divi is we only make money when people spend on their, cart, uh, on their credit cards. So if the product is bad or shit, as I say here, people aren't going to be willing or excited or incentivized to spend. Like our product needs to be great so that people love it, so that people want to use it, so that people want to spend. And so for us as, as product people, we're highly incentivized to create great long-term outcomes and, and products uh, that will also grow the business. And then the last point is that all of our compensation is equity and stock-based. So again, if I hit my revenue number for 2020, uh, I'll, I'll get equity and stock. And this is obviously a longer term play. This isn't $50,000 in cash for the year. And so it's not, hey, Blake, go build this feature and we'll give you however many thousands of dollars, right? So I think that helps drive that longer term alignment in the product. And with that, 
I will now unshare my screen and take questions. I have a question that I'd like to bring up, um, and that is, Aaron. hi, Blake. So we've had a, a long discussion, not long, but just a heated discussion recently in our company about um, features that might need to be built just because they look good in a sales demo. It might need to say, look, uh, we have, you know, a direct competitor is killing us in this, but we've done some, you know, usability testing and that sort of thing. It doesn't actually help the user experience, but it does help, you know, the buyer persona be convinced that, that this is the right product. I'm interested to get your take on, is there value in building features that are just simply sales can point to in demos and say, look, we have that, or should we uh, fall on the side of, no, let's actually build a good user experience that people want to engage with and use. So I would say it's ne it's generally never uh, a yes or no. I think it's I think it can be yes and also yes. Meaning yes, we can can and should build those things, but also that doesn't mean that we're not building a good experience for our users. It's it's kind of situational to like you know what is on the other side of the other side of that like you know we want to build these things for users equation. But generally, I think you can do both, and I think it's it is worthwhile to to build stuff that um is kind of demo candy or, or will help sell as well. Yeah. Um, so, I don't, I don't always think that those are mutually exclusive. Okay. So follow up then you've given the classic, it depends, right? I mean, every product question, it depends. So what criteria do you use to say this situation? Yeah. It's good to build a, a sales demo feature that might not actually help the user experience in this situation. It's not, do you have sort of a criteria or some questions that you can go through in determining that? So I would say first, Set your North Star metrics, right? The one we talked about with Divi, like those are the metrics we want to move and evaluate where you're at on the user experience side of things within the product and see if those align. And, tr and then try to lastly, try to find a way if possible to build whatever sales demo candy feature that like would actually port over to the end user experience as well. I feel like Gentry would have a really a much better answer here. But if you want to find Gentry, slack him on product type, he'll give you a better answer because he's fantastic at that. That's what I'd say. Yeah, Blake. Uh, hey, this is Mike Stores. Hey, um, hey, Mike. You're on the air. Yeah, I'm on the air. Hey, so I, I get the. I mean, I love it. I love the perspective from the product side of it, right? From the engineering side of it, I'm curious to see how your teams are actually aligned um, to the PMs. Like, are you actually working with a single team as a PM? Uh, because it seems like in this GM type perspective role, you would have to cover a lot of the product, right? You have to be able to cover the experience of the customer through a wide range of features potentially. And so, you know, you, now you've got engineers across that, that may be working on several different features. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to figure out how yeah. you guys are aligned up and how your engineers actually go build a, to these features. If there's so much, you know, so many technical areas there that they need to understand, you may not have the team that you need to go do what you need as a GM. Yeah, that makes love, sense. I love thoughts on that. So I only have one team and every PM at the uh, uh, Divi has one, one squad. And I, I can, I can see what you're saying about like, if it's not, if your area is too small or if it's not big enough to effectively move the needle, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I, I take a step back and again, evaluate those higher business metrics, bring those to the product team and figure out how you within your area can, can, can move the needle on those. Cause I think you can still be a GM with one squad. And even if it's not like a standalone product, you can totally build stuff within your sphere of ownership. Uh, as a GM to go move the needle on those metrics. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And, and then you guys continue to own the features over time, right? So, yeah, uh, I mean, obviously that's part of the normal process of maintenance. And um, Honestly, more than anything, it's just the mind shift because we haven't really aligned the teams any differently at Divi. And like, there's still teams that own, you know, like 
in my case, like I own kind of a whole uh, product that is revenue generating, but I also own kind of particular features or like areas within our, our main product. Nothing from the engineering side has really changed other than PMs are now empowered to be GMs and we should think about like actually hitting those, those business metrics. Really, it's taking the conversation from like, oh, I want this much engagement to like, no, we should grow revenue by X or increase whatever by whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just really just a mindset shift more than like an engineering or like organizational shift. All right. Well, as you can tell, we at Divi really care about this. Feel free to message Gentry, myself, Tyler. Uh, make sure to hit him up on Twitter. That's, his, that's where he spends most of his day. And yeah, we're happy to chat more about this with any like specific use cases you have. A big thanks to Blake McClary for presenting, and again to Divi for hosting the event. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you virtually at one of our next events.